Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. On Tuesday, May 12th, we hosted an event called the Make Resilient Disciples Online Experience. And if you were there, you know that it was great. We loved getting a chance to come together as a community to have this critical conversation about making resilient disciples. If you missed it, or if this is the first you're hearing about it, check out the show notes. I put a link to the replay of the event. Even though you missed it, I would still encourage you to watch the replay. It is well worth your time as someone like you who cares about the future of the faith. Today, I want to bring you part of the Make Resilient Disciples online experience as a podcast. If you missed this event, I hope that hearing from Mark Matlock, the co-author of Faith for Exiles, will motivate you to go check out the full conversation in all of its context. But if you were there, we heard from a lot of you that you were going to have to go watch it again to make sure you didn't miss anything. And hopefully getting a chance to just listen to this as a podcast will help bring up some of the emotion, motivation, and ultimately conviction that we believe came from the Lord on Tuesday. Mark Matlock is the co-author of Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. In this talk, he walks us through some of the research he and Barna Research discovered in preparation for the book. But what's critical is that he provides a potential path forward towards resilient child discipleship. A quick note, Mark does reference a few graphs and pictures during this talk. He does a fine job describing them. I think it still definitely makes sense to put this out into the world as a podcast. But like I said earlier, if you are someone who needs the visuals, the show notes provide a link and a timestamp so that you can follow along with Mark's talk there. Thank you for listening. Here is episode 34 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. As we talk about making resilient disciples, I want to share a little bit of research from a book written by my friend uh, David Kinneman, who's the president of Barna Research, uh, called Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in uh, Digital Babylon. One of the things that we wanted to do is try to understand what was going on with those people that are staying in church between the ages of 18 to 29? I want to share some of those insights uh, with you. Um, the first thing is this concept of digital Babylon. What do we mean by digital Babylon? You know, in the midst of this pandemic, we're experiencing a lot of change like we've never experienced before. But there was change happening before the pandemic, too. There's still a lot of cultural tension going on in our world today. And uh, what is going on with that? How do we explain what's taking place? David and I started realizing that really what's happening in our world is we're moving from a kind of a Jerusalem-like way of thinking into more of a Babylonian culture way of experiencing life. Let me share with you kind of the, the two differences between them. The first is just this idea that we're currently living in a complicated and accelerated culture. And when we look at the difference between Jerusalem and Babylon, this is just a metaphor, so don't read too much into it. But faith was at the center of Jerusalem. Um, it was monotheistic. Everybody had one understanding of who God was and his place in the world and how they related to him. It was a slower pace. The idol was more self-righteousness, uh, false piety, and it was a simpler life. 
But when we look at Babylon, we see something much different. Uh, there's a cross-cultural experience going on as nations are coming together. It's a city kind of a world. Faith is pushed into the margins as people are trying to survive. It's pluralistic. Lots of different beliefs and values out there. It's accelerated, frenetic. The idol is fitting in. It's uh, the fear of missing out, wanting to make sure that you're up to speed. And it's kind of this bittersweet tension because all that diversity brings a lot of creativity and wonder and awe, but it also is a sense of loss, especially when faith is at the center and the margins. You're constantly being challenged with what do I hold on to and what do I let go of? How do I bend but not break? And that is the essence of what resiliency is. My children came into their teen years uh, right about the time that cell phones and uh, I, smartphones in particular were becoming popular. And we, my wife and I had different views on how we should go about processing that. My wife was much more conservative, said we should keep them away from our kids as long as possible. They're probably gonna be a bad thing. I was like, as a youth culture specialist, an anthropologist, a futurist, somebody who was working with youth and ministry, I was like, hey, this is our lab to see what life is really like. Let's go all in. There had never been a generation of parents who would experience this technology with their kids. There was nobody to give us advice on what to do or how to go about it. We were pioneers in this effort. And what we've come to learn is pretty profound because these, this technology and social media and all of these things has definitely changed our lives, and we all know that intuitively. But let's take a look at what we know from the numbers standpoint. We know that the typical 15 to 23 year old spends about 2,700 plus hours on their screen every year. That's his green box here. Okay, when we take a look at the spiritual content though that they're taking in on their screens, it's much less. For the typical church going teen, it's less than, a little bit less than 300 hours a year of spiritual content. And for just the average teen in general, it's half that, 153 hours. This led David and I to type two words onto the printed page that were very profound to us. It was these two words, screens, disciple. Now, the church has often wondered how exactly technology has disrupted them. They say, well, we still have to meet, we still have to gather. You can't do relationship work completely online. We're all being challenged by that now, aren't we? But this word screens disciple really defines the disruption that technology has made in the work of the church. Let me explain what I mean by that. So I have been discipling teenagers um, and been a volunteer in my church, and I've got these uh, seniors in my youth group that I'm in a small group with. And one night, one of them is arguing with me about the existence of God. Now, I've been in my church for about 30 years, so I saw this child born and brought to church in a baby carrier, and now he's getting ready to graduate high school in my small group. I've seen the arc of his life, and I know something. He's not smart enough to argue with me in the way that he's arguing, so I'm questioning, where is he getting this information from? And what I found, because I took a couple words that he said, typed them into Google, and up pops a website that was basically saying um, how to debate a theist. And I realized that for months, he had been reading and absorbing and thinking about this content in his own life. Now, what would have normally happened? 
Normally when a teenager in one of my small groups would doubt his faith, because we keep it a very safe and open place to talk about these things, they'd say, hey Mark, I'm struggling with my faith. Um, help me understand, how can I really believe that God is, exists? And I'd help them look at some of the apologetics around that, but I'd also take a look at spiritual practices too. You know, are you spending time in, pray, in prayer? Are you spending time alone with God? Are you reading the scriptures? Tell me about maybe a, a blessing that you've seen in your life. Do you know where that came from? Um, that, that's God's provision in your life. I'd help them connect with God. But now I'm finding out about this and somebody else has been leading him down another path for a very long time. Now, just by looking at the outward cues, his attendance, his participation, his enthusiasm, I would have never guessed that he was doubting God on such a deep level until I asked the questions and got deeper inside of what was going on in his life. And that's what screen discipleship we need to be aware of, is the fact that somebody else is leading our kids in a different direction, to different intensities and different degrees. Now, I'm not anti-technology. I still let my kids have tech. My wife was probably right, by the way. We probably should have been a little more careful about what we did. But I learned so much about parenting with technology by letting my kids totally engage it. A lot of things that I would do differently. But we need to understand that screens are discipling our kids. It's not just what they're getting at church anymore. So David and I wanted to understand what was going on in the lives of those who stayed. So we did some research among 18 to 29 year olds who at some point in time in their life had considered themselves to be a Christian, either currently or in the past. And what we found were four different types of Christians that uh, were in that age group. The first are the prodigals. Uh, they make about 22% of that population, and they are ex-Christians. They are people that say, at one time in my life, I considered myself to be a Christian, but I no longer do. They're not just not coming to church. They have disassociated themselves with Christianity. Now, what's alarming about this number is that when we did the same research about seven, eight years ago for David's book, You Lost Me, that number was 11%. So it's doubled in just under a decade. And that's true, we see that across other surveys that we've done as well. That's a concerning number. The other concerning number is this 30% of what we call nomads. These people still consider themselves to be Christians, yet they don't attend church and aren't really connected to a community of faith. They've kind of taken their Christianity on the road, looking for their experience of God outside of the faithful community of Christians. We know that in many ways they're not that different than the prodigal. Uh, we aren't sure what's going to happen to them and if the migration is from here to there, but there's something going on with this group that we need to pay attention to. But David and my focus in Faith for Exiles was really on these two groups here. He's written about these in other books. This was really the focus for us. The habitual churchgoers made up 38%. They attend church rather frequently, uh, but when we ask them questions about basic Orthodox Christianity, the nature of Jesus, scriptures, things of that, they didn't quite have a great handle on what they actually believed doctrinally. And we asked them how central faith was to their life. They wouldn't say that it was a significant part in how they lived each and every day. Then we have the resilient disciples. This was our exemplar group. The resilient disciples make up about 10% 
of the 18 to 29 year olds that we surveyed. This group puts faith at the center of their life. They understand the basic tenets of their faith. These are the Daniels, the Esthers, the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes. Those that are the resilient disciples that we wanted to understand better. So we asked all of these groups a bunch of different questions. And we want to try and find out what were the churches like, the homes like that they grew up in? What were their experiences with God along the way in the community of believers? And we found some patterns that contributed to resilient disciples that weren't as present in the other three groups. We defined resilient discipleship as developing Jesus followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. So what we found was very different life practice beliefs of these different groups. Let me just take a look at that screen discipleship situation. Okay, so we showed you kind of how much screen content these different groups are taking in. We're just gonna look at spiritual screen content. And what we see is that among resilience, they're taking in 562 hours of spiritual content annually. Among the habitual churchgoers that are going to church the same rate as the resilience, they're taking in half that, just under uh, 300 hours. The nomads and the prodigals are about the same, taking in about 100 hours of spiritual content annually. So what we see is that the screen behavior of these groups is very different. But there were some other distinctives as well that give us some ideas about how we can help build resiliency into our children and young people. The first was experiencing Jesus. We found that resilience experienced Christ very different than the other groups. Uh, cultural discernment, being able to apply the Bible and navigate a, a, a changing culture, meaningful relationships, being a part of a community of people you want to be with and want to become in your life. Vocational discipleship, the idea that the work that I do is also part of how I express Jesus in my life. And then living on countercultural mission, this idea that it's not about going with the flow. Sometimes it's about resisting what's going on. It's about bending without breaking. So these are five things. Now, I don't have time to go deeply into all of these as we do in the book, but I wanted to just show them to you because a lot of times people will say, well, we kind of do some of those things. But let me tell you, the people that are coming to your church every week, there are a lot of them that aren't experiencing it in the same way as these resilience. And that's something that we want to have some greater insight on. Let's take a look at one of those, just experiencing Jesus, just as a way of example. So we defined experiencing Jesus based on our interviews with resilience as experiencing Jesus means clearing religious clutter for closeness with and joy in Christ. What we have found is that resilience experienced Jesus in a really different way than any of the other categories of uh, profiles of um, Christians that we surveyed. And I want to show you what this looks like. And, and by the way, this, this idea of religious clutter, right? There's a lot of things that we do at church that bring us closer to God. And there are a lot of things that we do at church that are either neutral or maybe don't help us get close to God. And they even work against us in some ways. Right now with the pandemic and the way that we're reevaluating and rethinking church, this is an opportunity for us to try to remove some of that religious clutter and get back to what's really essential and what's important. Resilience are somehow able to do this either through the 
the leadership in the church, their parents uh, in their life, people that are mentoring or discipling them, or they're doing it themselves. We're not completely sure, but they're able to do that to really connect with Christ. Let me, let me just show you some numbers here, okay? I won't dive in super deep like we do in the book, but I just want to show you this green line here represents resilient disciples and how they uh, scored in terms of talking with Jesus, how they're experiencing his presence, what their prayer life is like. Habituals that are going to church with the same frequency as our resilience, we'll see, are having a much different experience. In some ways, 40 percentage points different uh, than resilience. And this was consistent throughout all of the different profiling that we did. There are only a few places where uh, these four categories came within single digits of separation from one another. Most of the time, they're double digit separations, sometimes as many as 40% as you see here uh, in a couple of these things. So what we're seeing here is that even though they're attending church at the same frequency, they're having really different experiences with Jesus. That means we can't just look at their attendance. We can't just look at their participation in worship or activities. We have to get to know them. We have to really be doing life with them if we are going to be able to really help them follow Christ in their life. Here's another interesting thing that we found. When we asked these uh, people that we surveyed, when do you consider that you first started following Jesus, okay? When did you first consider yourself to be a Christian? We found that they had really different ages that they came to understand that. Among the prodigals, the average age was eight. Among nomads, it was eight. Among habituals, it was nine. And among resilience, it was 11. Now let's take a look at the median age. This means that um, this is the, the midpoint, about 50% or above that midpoint, 50% would answer below that point, okay? So when we take a look at prodigals, the median is six for when they said they began following Jesus, seven for nomads, eight for habituals, and 12 for resilience. What can we glean from this or insights can we get? Uh, it's this idea that we don't need to be too anxious about rushing kids to make decisions, that following Jesus might have a little bit more of a slow build in, during the childhood years than a fast build. For those of us that have children that are older and we're concerned that maybe they're not tracking spiritually uh, in the places that we think that they should be, be encouraged by this to know that resiliency is not dependent on coming to faith at an early age. Now, I I put my trust in Christ just before I turned five, and I've faithfully followed him since that moment in time. Sure, I've had doubts and questions along the way, but I never really rebelled or rejected the idea that Christ is. There's nothing wrong with kids coming to faith at an early age, but there is something that says developmentally we can be patient and really trust that God cares about their salvation and their discipleship much more than we do, and that he's working in their lives, and we can have confidence confidence uh, in that. So I want to talk about discipling in digital Babylon, just to kind of wrap this up. Well, I gave you those five things, and there's some specifics around those uh, that you can explore at another time. I want to give you a, an idea here that can just kind of set the stage for what we're looking to do. And it's this idea that exiles find their home in God. When we look at 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, many of the others that uh, in the Old Testament that were literally exiled from Jerusalem. But what we find in the New Testament is that the idea of being in exile is literally just the way of the Christian, right? Uh, in in uh, Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. When we put our trust in Christ, our, our citizenship changes. We no longer belong to this world. We no longer belong to any particular country. Uh, we don't have a land. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. This is a profound idea for us to realize that as New Testament believers, we are living in exile. That is our default position. If we look at 2 Corinthians 5.20, we see that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What is an ambassador? Is an ambassador somebody who is, in a sense, living in exile? They're living as a resident alien in a country or a culture with very high, actually, official status from the, the, the place they're sovereign in, that they're their sovereign lives. Um, and so we realize that the whole idea of the New Testament is Christians, that we are resident aliens, that we don't actually live in our homeland and we are representatives of someplace else. So one of the things that we can focus on as we think about discipling in digital Babylon is this idea that we want to be helping make our homes like embassies for heaven that our families think about their home as an outpost for heaven in their neighborhood, in their community, and ultimately the world. I had the opportunity of speaking to uh, a group of seniors at a missionary school in Kenya. And there's literally a wall around the school. And I was asking some of them, what is it like trying to be a Christian in this environment? And one of them said something very profound. They said, it's like being a candle in a well-lit room. You know there's a light, but you can't always see that it's shining. You know, when my wife and I started having kids, we started interviewing parents that were older than us, whose kids had grown, who we'd seen them hand their faith off to them. We wanted to find out what the secret was. You know, maybe they had a magic coin or something they put under their bed that we could do the same thing with. What we found was there were no real secret tricks or anything, but what we found that was consistent and true in every one of their lives is that they lived their faith out in front of their kids, in their neighborhoods, in their communities. They were involved in uh, their places of work, of really living for Jesus, and their kids saw that following Christ made a difference. It was light shining in the shadow places, and they could see the potency of the gospel in their life. And even though some of their kids may have fallen away from time to time, eventually they came back. Why? because they saw that following Jesus was powerful and made a difference. And that's what we see happening in the lives of exiles. From Daniel to Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, they demonstrated the presence and the power of God in front of people, in front of others, while living far away from what they knew. Let's make resilient disciples. Let's help this generation live in digital Babylon for Christ. Thank you for listening, especially all the way to the end. It was amazing to be able to gather together as a community to have this critical conversation. And thank you to Mark for hosting the event and for his leadership at this crucial moment in the church. If you are new to the podcast, I'm so glad that you made it this far. We would love for you to check out some of our previous episodes and we'll be bringing you a new conversation on Tuesday. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. 
Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.